It's great to have you with us from wherever you're tuning in from. For more information about Elevate Church or to contact us, head to our website elevatechurch.me and take us wherever you go by downloading our Elevate Church AU app. We hope this message inspires and helps you to take your next steps in your journey. Good morning. Good to have you here this morning. This is week five. Hello. Of our series, Keep the Faith. And we actually, I think we're only just getting warmed up. This could be the series that never ends. <laughs> what we're doing in this series is we're taking a flyover of some heroes of faith that whose lives and accounts of what God used them for um, has been recorded uh, and actually kind of summarized by uh, in the new part of the Bible by a writer that wrote a letter to Jewish Christians. The letter's called Hebrews, which was to the audience that he was writing to. And the, the writer, the author of this letter to the Hebrews gave this sort of account of, of just this like list of people, list of men and women who throughout history, God used to accomplish great things. That uh, list has kind of been... Um, Nicknamed the Hall of Faith, and uh, we're just like learning each week from one of the Hall of Faith uh, members. We started with a guy named Enoch that we know very little about. We know that he walked by faith. Week two, Noah. Noah built by faith. Last week, Abraham, and today we want to continue. But if you missed any of the first four weeks, then go back uh, and listen to them, catch up, and just allow God to, to grow your faith. And really that's the motivation for this whole series is, is un- recognizing that faith doesn't have to be fixed. That wherever your faith level is today, that doesn't have to be a cap. That doesn't have to be a, a lid. That doesn't have to be your future. Faith can grow. It can increase. And one of the ways that we can grow our faith is learning about people who've seen their faith grow and apply those lessons in our life. Now, if you've got your smartphone camera, scan this. And it's actually going to take you to the Hall of Faith, to Hebrews uh, chapter 11 in the Bible app. I'm going to drop us into the New Living Translation today. And I'm going to learn some of the life lessons from a guy named Moses. Okay, we know a bit more about Moses than we did about Enoch. And so right off the bat, interestingly, and I don't think by any means a coincidence, the writer of the letter to the Hebrews, when he started to talk about Moses, he actually double-clicked on the faith of Moses' parents, that, that their faith actually jump-started Moses' journey. And in fact, makes the point literally that if it wasn't for Moses' parents' faith and them acting the out their faith, he would never have made it into the hall of faith. See, Moses entered the pages of history, uh, born into an Israelite family at a time when the Israelites were actually slaves in Egypt. And uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt, over time, he, he, the, the population of the Israelites was growing. The Pharaoh started to see the Israelites as a potential threat. So he had come up with this brilliant uh, plan that Every newborn male Israelite baby had to be thrown into the River Nile to drown. Moses 
parents didn't play by that rule. But the Pharaoh, he figured, you know, reduce the population, reduce the threat. It was by faith that Moses' parents hid him for three months when he was born. They saw that God had given them an unusual child. In another translation, says an extraordinary child. Throw that one up on the screen. Uh, Given them an unusual child and they were not afraid to disobey the king's commands. I don't have time to riff on how important generational legacy is and, and, and the incredible responsibility and opportunity parents have. But if, for those of you who are parents, I encourage you just to, to marinate on this and don't be terrified of it. Now, Moses presumably was getting bigger by the day as babies do. And after three months, seemingly his parents figured they couldn't hide him anymore. So they put him in a little basket and they actually floated him into the Nile River, hoping that he would get rescued and that he would have a, a different future. Notice that they put their baby son in the very same river that Pharaoh had decreed would be the death site of every newborn Israelite male. What the enemy meant for evil, God can use it for good. The tools that the enemy is putting in front of you to try and thwart God's plans and purposes, God can use those very same tools, those experiences, those environments, the things you've learned, the the resilience you've built to actually not have God's plans and purposes thwart, but actually accomplish God's plans and purpose. And by the way, this just gets even more bonkers from there about how God always has the final word. See, what happened is that Pharaoh's daughter actually found this baby boy and adopted him to be her own son. And so this three-month-old baby boy was brought into the palace of the Pharaoh. However, they needed a wet nurse because there wasn't a local grocery store selling infant formula. So they went and they summoned a wet nurse. Guess who? Moses' mom. Hello, So now Moses' mom gets the opportunity to raise and nurture, they didn't know it was Moses' mom, to raise and nurture her son and get this, she's getting paid to do it. Hello? (laughs) By the person, she was on the, the, the payroll of the person that said that this child should have actually been killed. Come on now. Now, Moses lived 120 years and uh, big brain Bible scholars talk about Moses' life as being uh, sliced and diced into three 40-year phases or what Swifties like to call eras. So, if you know, you know. Moses' first 40-year era, he was a prince in Egypt. Moses' second 40-year era, he was a shepherd in Midian. And Moses' third and final 
40-year era. He was the leader of Israel. One of these very same big brain Bible people, a guy named Deal Moody, he says it this way. Moses spent the first 40 years thinking he was a somebody, spent the second 40 years learning he was a nobody, and spent his third 40 years discovering what God can do through a nobody. And one of the things that we learn from Moses' life is his growing leadership capacity. And so today we're talking about Moses being led by faith and it recognises the very same thing we recognise about faith can be applied to leadership. And that is that your current leadership capacity doesn't have to be fixed. It can grow. Your effectiveness can grow and we can learn from people like Moses about how to do that. Now, spoiler alert, one of Moses' superpowers was his ability to make tough choices that we learned through Moses' life that he didn't always do what was popular and he certainly didn't always do what was convenient. In fact, what Moses did is he ran his decisions first first and finally through the filter of do these line up with God's plans and purposes? His first question wasn't, will this be popular? Will this be convenient? It's, is this what God wants? Now, back in the 1800s, when I was in school, uh, there was a thing when we did like PE or sports um, where the two sort of jocks would get uh, given the chance to be captains of these imaginary teams that hadn't yet been established. And then the jocks would take it in turns to go down the list of the rest of us to pick the people for their teams. I'll have them, I'll have them, I'll have them. And you know, Incredibly humiliating if you weren't very good at sports. I don't know if that's been outlawed now. It should have. Yep, good, good, good. Okay, see, don't think everything about our uh, culture is going down the toilet. That's progress. Um, anyway, but here's part of the problem with that. You didn't get to choose, unless you were the jock, you didn't get to choose your team. The good news is, and we're going to learn this from Moses, is in life, we get to choose the team. See, Moses, there was a time in his life where he decided to change teams. And it looked like he was going from the winning team and joining the losing team, which would make no sense. See, Moses was a prince in approaching 40 years of age. He was a prince in Egypt, the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He was smart, well-educated. He was rich. He was powerful. In fact, it's said that he was likely uh, next in line as the successor to Pharaoh, okay? And then he found out that he was an Israelite. And that changed the game for him. He now started to see himself and identify with his people who were living oppressed lives as slaves in Egypt. And Moses felt God calling him to a different destiny. It was by faith that Moses, when he grew up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. He chose to share the oppression of God's people instead of enjoying the fleeting 
pleasures of sin. He chose not what was popular. He chose not what was convenient. He chose the destiny that God was calling him to. Now, when I was 26 years old, I had a very memorable conversation with my parents. We sat down and I said, Dad, Mom, I need you to know I'm quitting my job and I'm going to Bible college. Now, my parents were born either side of the Second World War and then grew up in the aftermath of the Second World War. And for their generation, you went to school, you got a job, and so on and so forth. And their number one value was security. Having lived through so much turmoil, security was a priority. Now, add that to my story is that both my parents had worked all of their lives to give my brother and I an education. My dad, when they wanted to send us to private school, that required my dad taking on a second job uh, to earn the money to be able to send us to private school. I then went on to university, which was like super proud moment for my parents um, that I was able to do that. I then went and got a corporate job like you do. I was working for the third largest company in the world, plenty of runway for career growth, and I was moving up the corporate ladder, and my parents were like, oh, this is exactly every, everything that we've dreamed of. It's all coming true. Everything we've sacrificed, everything we've worked hard for. I mean, all the stuff, right? And I say, anyway, uh, uh, ripping the handbrake and all that, I'm going to quit my job, and I'm going to go to Bible college. And my dad, to his credit, kept a reasonably calm composure and said, okay. Now, they, they, they're Catholics, so there's no such thing as Bible college. Uh, and uh, so that was always, always a bit foreign anyway. But my dad said, so what are you, you going to do when you finish Bible college? And I said to him, uh, I have absolutely no idea. It doesn't work like that. It's not nursing school. It's not medical. It, it does, I, I just know that God's calling me to go to Bible college. So here's my question to you this morning. Is there something that God is calling you to right now in your life? A next step, a step of faith. And the only reason you haven't taken that step yet is because it doesn't make sense. Is because you're concerned it might not be popular. Is it is because it's going to actually require you to experience a little more inconvenience in your life. Something that makes no sense from a popular perspective. Now, let me just give just some low-hanging fruit examples. You know, the cost of living is going up. I know you know that, but the point is the cost of living is going up. So giving financially into God's kingdom makes no sense, right? Run the math. It makes no sense. Everyone's busy. Oh, I'm busy. You busy? Yeah, I'm busy. Oh, me, I'm even busier than busy. I'm busier than you and I'm busier than I've ever been. Oh, wow, you're busy. I'm busy. Serving in your local church, joining an Elevate team makes no sense. 
well, if you, knew, if you knew how I grew up, if you knew my family, if you knew my circumstances, if you knew my background, uh, I mean, there's no way that God could use me to do that thing. And it's like, uh, actually, that might be the very training ground that's positioned you uniquely to do that thing. And here's the reality. If you choose to take that next step, God's an inviter, He's not a shover. So it's gonna be, at the end of the day, up to you. But if you take the next step, you're gonna be on a new adventure. Some people think that's so exciting. Adventures are exhilarating. And other people like, adventure sounds horrible. Well, I think it depends. A couple of years ago, Louisa, who works in education, uh, so she has school holidays, her holidays in school holidays, um, went to fetch our then six-year-old nephew to hang out with his Zia, auntie in Italian. So Zia goes and picks up our nephew, first stop, brings him back to our house, hang out for a little bit. And I said to our nephew, what have, what have you and Zia got planned today for this day off? And he says, Zia's taking me on an adventure. And he's like so excited. And I was like, wow, that sounds great. What, what are you gonna do? He says, I have no idea. See, he, he didn't feel the need to know ahead of time where they were going, what they were gonna do. He knew it was gonna be great because he had incredible trust in his zeal that his zeal was gonna lead him on an adventure that he was gonna come away with and say, man, I'm glad we had that adventure together. When it comes to faith, too many people, they, they, they don't wanna just see the trailer before they decide they're gonna watch the film. They wanna know everything. I wanna know who lives. I wanna know who dies. I wanna know what's gonna cost me. I wanna know how much pain I'm gonna have to go through. And once I've seen all that ahead of time, then I'll decide whether I'm in or not. But Moses, when he left the palace, he did not know what his adventure was going to look like. He just trusted in his God. Period. He thought it was better to suffer for the sake of Christ than to own the treasures of Egypt for he was looking ahead to his great reward. There's too many people think that the treasures are the great reward. It's like, no, they're not. It was by faith that Moses left the land of Egypt, not fearing the king's anger, kept right on going because, and here's a clue, he kept his eyes on the one who is Invisible. Moses gave up his privileged life in the palace to embrace the pain of his people. And his next era was the 40 years in Midian. Let me tell you, if you don't know this about Midian, Midian was in the desert. No air conditioning, no Israelite slaves with massive palm fronds helping you get to Betty Buys quicker at night. And he chose to go there left the palace, went to the tent. And this is one of the reasons that I think some people don't take these next steps of faith is 
is in some spheres we've been we've been sort of sold this myth that following Jesus is all about moving to a life of perpetual ease and comfort and convenience. Well, I'll sign up for that. I'll join that team. Yeah, well, I, I know that you would, but that's not the invitation. The invitation is to come on a wild and crazy adventure that is gonna be far above and beyond anything you can ask for or even imagine. A number of years ago, I was in Verona, a city in the north of Italy, famous for Romeo and Juliet, among other things. And, but I wasn't there as a tourist. I was there with a church and they were hosting a leadership seminar. And I was like the key speaker at this leadership seminar. It was an evening gig. Um, uh, started at 8 p.m. Now, I'm glad it was years ago because I don't do 8 p.m. anymore. But back then, I could sort of squeeze a bit more juice out of the day and, and I was still alive at 8 p.m. But the reason they did it at 8 p.m. is that actually people were traveling in from churches around the north of Italy, Milan, Florence, etc. which all sound like, oh, wow, wow, Verona, Milan, Florence, that's amazing. You know that people actually live there like, and do like real life stuff there? And uh, these were these people. Uh, who were driving after work, because it was a Monday night, after work, two to three hours each way to Verona, two-hour leadership training seminar. Then out comes the espresso and the, and the, and the biscuits, because, well, because Italy. Um, and so, you know, the, the, the clock struck midnight before anyone was even considering getting back in their cars and going back. And then again, some of these very same people were driving two, three hours back to then have to get up for work the next morning. And, and to be honest, I'm not too proud to admit this, I found that whole concept shocking, like staggering. <coughs> and so I said to my friend Mauro, who leads the church in Verona, like, you know, like, dude, like, why in the world would these people do this? Like, you know, all of, all of that. And he said, Marco, <clears throat> you need to understand something. Okay, I'm listening. Uh, this is Italy. You're Catholic the second you enter the world. These people are from what they call in Italy, i protestanti, Protestant churches. In other words, not Catholic. Like everyone else is just lumped together. And they're very much the minority. And when any one of these people made their own personal choice to become a follower of Jesus in one of these Protestant churches, inherent with that decision was them being seen to be throwing out all of their ancestry. What? the faith that your grandparents had isn't good enough for you anymore. Uh, the Catholic Church, oh, you think you're better than us. And, and, and relationships would, would get severed in many cases. Distrust levels would rise in many cases. These people would be uh, kind of outcasts in their family, in their villages, in their towns. And, and, 
and there would be no attempt to understand the, the journey that these people have chosen to go on. And Malra said, and they did it anyway. And every single day for them to live as a Jesus follower in Catholic Italy is a struggle, is a challenge. So when somebody in Italy tells you they're a, a, a Jesus follower, not a Catholic, a Jesus follower, you know they did not make that decision lightly. It was not somebody that was born into a Christian family and is now a cultural Christian and maybe you'll see him at church once a month, once a quarter, once a year, Christmas and Easter. These people, when they crossed that line, they went all in. There was no halfway in. There was no, you put your left leg in, you put your left leg out. No, in meant in. And for them to drive two, three hours after a long day at work, to learn more about how they can be more effective in their journey following Jesus, their leadership in their local church, and then drive two, three hours back. For them, they wouldn't even ask the question, is this inconvenient? And I was like, okay, I get it now. Now, final word. Uh, There is a difference between taking risks and being reckless. In our journey following Jesus, he will regularly invite us and challenge us to take risks, but taking risks is not the same as being reckless. About 15 years ago, I was in Palm Springs. Now, uh, don't let the name fool you, Palm Springs. It's the desert, okay, that's it. And uh, again, doing a leadership uh, conference with the church there. Um, and in the afternoon, we had the afternoons free, so we would go golfing. Uh, the guy that led the church there, a good friend of mine named Tom, we'd go golfing. So anyway, the golf courses, they're magnificent. I mean, l- l- at least the fairways and the greens, magnificent. You wouldn't know for one second while you're looking at the, the, the lawn and the greens and the fairways that you're in the desert. But the second you hit your ball into the rough, you get a very prompt reminder that you're in a desert. So anyway, of course, I never hit my ball into the rough, straight down the middle every single time. Uh, but Tom, who's a far more inferior golfer than I am, he, on one occasion, hit his ball into the rough. And so I walked down with him to, to, to near where his ball went in. And then, you know, typically you'd walk into the rough, you'd try to hit your ball out. But I noticed this sign. <coughs> And I, and, I, and I said to Tom, look, look, I mean, you're a grown man. It's not my job to tell you what to do or not do. Um, I know that in golf, like, if you don't go and find that ball and try to hit it out of there, like, you'll get a penalty. I said, listen, I'm willing to turn a blind eye. I'm willing to let you just drop the ball, the new one, into the fairway and play it as if, as if that's where it landed first time round. And Tom grabs his seven iron and goes traipsing into the rough looking for his golf ball. And I said to him, Tom, you know I love you, right? Let, let me, let, I need you to know two things. Number one, I'm glad that's your ball and not mine because there is no golf ball on the planet that I would be chasing after now that I've seen this sign. 
I said, and, and secondly, if you get bitten by one of these rattlesnakes, that's it, mate. I'm just getting in the golf cart. I'm gone. I'm getting back to Australia and uh, all the best. I'm just going to say it. I love my friend Tom, but I'm just going to say it. In this instance, I think Tom went from beyond taking a risk into the reckless territory. And so you say, well, how do I know the difference? Like, where's the line? You know, is this, is, is this sign going to pop up? Maybe. <laughs> I mean, maybe. Uh, first of all, God will never ask you to do something that contradicts his word. Okay, well, his word's not clear about everything. Sure, go get that. Then, then the next one is uh, prayer. But, you know, you can convince yourself of anything when you're praying. I felt the Lord tell me. Mm. And so the third thing is trusted people around you. And, and I say trusted, they, they need to be trusted enough to be able to look you in the eye and say no, if that's what you need to hear not just be like in the, the thought bubble. Um, and the higher the consequences or potential consequences, the more important those steps become. Should I use the shopping trolley or should I just grab one of the hand baskets? Just shut up. Just no one cares. Because you can always go back. Once the handbasket's full, I should have gotten a trolley. Well, then go on, get a trolley. <clears throat> but as the consequences go up, then this, yeah, cautionary, considered, discerning, wise approach matters more, right? <clears throat> or there's a third option. Just live insulated. Don't ever take any risks, do anything that's unpopular, do anything that's inconvenient, and then no problem. You don't need to pray about that. You don't need to read your Bible about that. You don't need to ask anyone else about that. It's like, next Netflix film, next Netflix film. Are you still watching? Heck yeah, I'm still watching. <clears throat> or you can choose to go on a wild adventure following a God who is trustworthy and it will involve risk but as we learn from Moses he was looking forward to his great reward and at all times he kept his eyes bonkers thing to say on the one who is invisible we really hope you've got a lot out of this message if you live in the Perth area, we'd love for you to join one of our live experiences. For times and directions, as well as information, head to our website, elevatechurch.me. For those of you beyond the Perth area, we'd love for you to connect with our online experience, which premieres every Sunday via YouTube and Facebook Live, and on demand immediately after. And to partner with us to reach more people by giving financially, head to our website, elevatechurch.me and also download our Elevate Church AU app.